today on Laura Lynn and Friends. So by February of 2021, we had a clear signal that too many people were dying from the shot. And if that would have happened, if it was under Health and Human Services, it would have stopped. But not, not under a Department of Defense because they're treating this like, like a war, literally like a war. And they're willing to take as many casualties as, as it takes. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the beginning of the last days. It's going to be spectacular. Ooh, it's heating up in Canada. I'm kind of excited. So a few days ago, I said to a few people, I have this feeling that it's we're getting closer to the end of Trudeau. I just have a feeling. You know, there have been prophetic words that he would be removed, right, from some pretty well-known, established, um, believable prophets, you know, not the unbelievable ones. Because uh, there's plenty of those. Um, but, you know, the people who have a track record for speaking God's word and it comes to pass. And, um, I, you know, it always resonated with my spirit that there was a time. But we've watched scandal after scandal after scandal. And it's like nothing takes Trudeau out. Nothing. He just seems to get by. It's like nothing can touch him. And what I've come to understand is that Nothing will touch him until God says it's time. And sometimes the Lord is not on our timing, and I'm not happy about that. I want him to be more in line with how I think things should go. thing about God is he kind of knows what he's doing, and so he does things the way he wants to do them. And it always seems like a trial lasts just a little bit longer than I would like it to, maybe a lot longer when I look back. And I've come to also believe a certain something about that. And that is that it's always better the way he does it. He leaves enough room for the bad dudes to hang themselves. For he, he, he leaves enough room for us to get every possible lesson out of the trial that we needed to. Problem is, I don't know if Canada has really gotten the lesson that they needed in order to get rid of Trudeau. I think we can get rid of him because it, his time is done. He is a tyrant and a, I, I would say, demonically inspired leader who has hurt people. And this has caused lives. His policies have caused our senior citizens to be harmed. Him, along with his cohort, uh, Dr. Um, Teresa Tam, they've caused a lot of lives. But I have to say, even if we get rid of him, we're going to have Christia Freeland or the next crazy loon, liberal, woke mob person put into place. However, I got a letter yesterday from somebody who, um, who intercedes on behalf of Canada has been on some prayer lines. And on these prayer lines, the, the shocking thing is that even Christians seem a little bit unaware of the real issues we're facing, a little bit unaware of what our times really involve, of the desperation of the evil, and they seem to think that we'll have some sort of political solution to all of this. And I'm not certain what political solution we have, which we're going to be talking to somebody at the end of this show because Pierre Polyev has come out with a response 
to what he said about Christine Anderson. I don't know if you've heard this yet. And we're going to play his response, and we're going to have a guest speak to that response. So that's the end of this show. Uh, after we've uh, been with uh, one of our favorite dudes, Dr. Kevin Stillwagon. So the feeling I'm getting in watching Canada unravel at this time is that Mr. Trudeau is on a very short leash. And that short leash seems to be that the media is getting very tired of him. When the media and his own party members are tired of him, we're getting somewhere. And they ought to be tired of him because his policies and his Chinese-style tyrannorship, I know, not, not a word, tyrannical leadership has been <laughs> another Laura Lynn-ism. Tyrannorship. <laughs> um, it, it hasn't been accepted, not even by the liberals. It's not okay. What you've done to Canada is not okay. And a lot of people have been harmed. And then, of course, there's been what you did. We're on uh, YouTube and Facebook right now. Okay. So I'll just stop there. So I love to open my dad's Bible every day. And uh, let, let me just flick somewhere and see something that he has um, underlined. Um, oh, I've read that one before. My dad loved his Bible. Oh, remember we had Bo Polney on? Well, my dad's underlined this. I think Bo was talking about the 70 years and blah, blah, blah. I don't even know what it totally says, but it's underlined in red. See what my dad thought was important. January, I mean, Jeremiah 29th, 10. For thus says the Lord that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. So there's a lot to be said for 70 years. I know that my dad, in studying the word, uh, he would understand that some, sometimes 70 years is um, it's sort of a marker, like 70 years, you know, that people are enslaved or, you know, something comes about. So let's hope. So 70 years ago would have been 19, um, so what, 53 to, to now? 23, yeah, so back in those days, the 1948 was an incredible um, revival that we had in Canada. We understood that maybe something was going on. Um, I pray that we're at a turnaround and that the times and seasons are leading to the moment when we will have relief from the Trudeau government, um, and I mean from all the liberals. That would be terrific. But having said that, we've got a problem because we do not have anyone, any elected official that dares to speak out against abortion, that dares to speak and, and get something done. I mean, you can all speak in your back rooms, but you do nothing. You do nothing. Stephen Harper had a, you know, he had full reign. He did nothing on abortion. Our country continues to hurt the most vulnerable I want to show this quick video before we bring our guest on. Um, in the quest for truth regarding foreign interference in our elections, liberals continue to play games as they duck and hide from the opposition questioning of Trudeau's chief of staff, 
Katie Telford. Have you heard about Members this? Members of the Standing Committee on Procedure House Affairs from uh, the opposition parties just returned from the committee room. Uh, the committee was suspended this morning uh, during its deliberations on uh, the motion to have the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff, Katie Telford, testify on um, knowledge that she had and briefings that she received on foreign interference uh, efforts uh, in Canadian elections. This is uh, following, of course, yesterday the Prime Minister's announcement that in spite of uh, calls from all opposition parties to have a open, transparent public inquiry, um, his efforts to uh, further his cover-up and use a process of a secret committee with secret results where there would be no transparency for Canadians. So all opposition parties attended the meeting room this afternoon. The vice chair, Mr. Nader, was prepared to gavel in for the meeting, but the liberal chair and liberal members did not attend the meeting room, and so quorum wasn't achieved, and they've continued their, their cover-up that, uh, that is to follow their filibuster from this morning. We're going to continue to press for answers and uh, continue our calls for the Prime Minister's uh, Chief of Staff, Katie Telford, to appear at committee. Oh, you see, why are they freaking out? Why do the Liberals not want that to happen? Um, because there's something to hide. That's a problem. That's why. So I want to show you this. This is, I go to National News Watch, just so you know. Like, I like to see, hey, what's everyone talking about? When you see uh, the, a whole bunch of articles that are all about the cover-up, Two high-level memos allege Beijing covertly funded Canadian elections candidates. That's global news. Trudeau again deflects questions on foreign election interference. That is the CBC. Beijing is an existential threat to Canada, Liberal MP says, amid interference probes. Oh, so the Liberal guy, he's, he's not covering for this. Really? He's talking about... Beijing being an existential threat, when Mr. Trudeau is trying to say basically nothing to see here, Liberal MP, former Cabinet Minister Mark Garneau is leaving the House of Commons. Now, why is that? See, all of this, Liberal MP and former Cabinet Mark Garneau is resigning after 15 years in politics. He did not answer questions this morning about why he's stepping down. I think we have a problem. I think Mr. Trudeau has a problem. So we look forward to seeing it. So he was questioned. Uh, Mr. Trudeau was in a scrum, I believe. And I want to make some comments. Um, you know, new watch this. As of August 2019, you were aware of Chinese government funding of candidates. Look at his face. What did you know about Chinese government funding of election candidates? And when did you know it? And what did you do about it then? One of the reasons that we are putting in place a special rapporteur on top of uh, the work and the full access that NSICOP and NCRA have, the members, the, the Conservative, Liberal and NDP and Senators, members of the National Security and Intelligence Committee of Parliamentarians will have access and have access to all top secret documents, all briefings that might have been made or could have been made or were not made when from CSIS to parliamentarians. When did you know? When did you know? remains you know? Do you hear this? Uh, something that we have to make sure is looked at 
by parliamentarians and by experts who have proper security clearances for I understand the extent to which Canadians have very real questions about this. It is of concern to people that China continues to try to interfere, and other countries are interfering in our democratic processes, in uh, the core of our democracy. And that is why it is so important that authorities, parliamentarians, and experts with the proper clearances can look into everything that was done in a responsible way, in a way that doesn't put at risk security, in a way that doesn't put at risk national security, in a way that doesn't compromise uh, the people who work. As we know, this is an issue that needs to be taken extremely seriously. This government has always taken it extremely seriously. And to be quite honest, I know that no matter what I say, Canadians continue to have questions about what we did and what we didn't. And that is why an independent special rapporteur is going to be able to look at the entire landscape and dig deeply into everything anyone knew at any point and come back to it. As can already, as can already, as can these are issues these are issues that deserve to be looked at with deep seriousness and with Do you hear them? Do you deny knowing ahead of the election? Do you deny knowing ahead of the election? Wow. So I feel like um, if all of these reporters don't have permission from the higher-ups to be this assertive with the prime minister, they would lose their jobs for this if it were not now sanctioned, that they are now able to question him firmly. And let me tell you something. I actually, I know that when people begin to get brought down, I can actually feel sorry for them and I feel a sadness in my heart. And even when it's the worst person, like sometimes I'm like, oh, that must really hurt, you know? Um, and I do believe that, that Justin Trudeau needs to face some things. Um, so I, that we want justice. We want a righteous leader put over Canada, and he has not been. And the Lord God will deal with him. And it's funny that it would come over this, like something that we've known about. We, our election was a long time ago. Why do you think this is being allowed? Well, this is perhaps, this is perhaps the stone that takes out this Goliath. I don't know. I pray for that. Um, so I would, shall we head into our, our, uh, esteemed guest now, right? We'll put everything else aside. Um, I do not want to miss another moment with Dr. Kevin Stillwagon because, uh, he became one of our favorites and I traveled with him and was amazed at the information that he was able to convey in such a simple manner that we could all understand it. You know, not being trained in, you know, medical, uh, ways and, and all of that, it would always be just a little bit difficult to understand all those things that the doctors were talking about. But Dr. Kevin Stillwagon had a way of explaining it so 
concretely that we understood. And one thing we understood from him was that there were some serious questions regarding all of the vaccines. So I think that we're going to ask uh, Dr. Stillwagon to come on, and then we're going to say a very hello. Let's say a, a quick hi before <laughs> we say goodbye to YouTube and um, Facebook. How are you? I'm doing great, Laura Lynn. Always great to talk to you and see all my friends up in Canada again. This is great. Thank you so much. Thank you. And yeah. you are in a hotel, you are traveling, and you're taking time out of your very busy schedule to be with us. So I appreciate that an awful well, lot. You're very welcome. It's yeah. just a, a pleasure to help spread the truth any way I can. Yes. Yeah. Well, you're a, you're a pilot, and so you have yeah. some understandings of some of the difficulties. Uh, maybe before we let go of the other channels, where we're going to put the link, everyone, to get over to Rumble as fast as you can, because we're going to talk some about some things. We want to be respectful of the platforms that we're on that, that do not wish to have that discussed. So we will say goodbye in a moment. But you're a pilot. You were formerly of Delta Airlines. And, um, right. you know, we're seeing that I've heard, I've heard a rumor that, um, not, not quite yet, because before we talk about anything, I've heard a rumor that they want to go to just one pilot. Have you heard that, or do you think that's just a false rumor? That's not a false rumor. That's uh, absolutely true. And there's two reasons for that. Uh, the first reason, of course, is cost savings. You know, it's expensive to have qualified pilots in the cockpit. Um, you know, I, I go way back. Uh, I've been a pilot for 50 years. I started flying when I was 15 years old. I was an airline pilot for... 33 years and 21 years as a captain with Delta Airlines. So I've, I've seen a lot of things. I've seen a lot of transition through the years. And when I first started to fly for the airlines, uh, I, I flew the older aircraft, like the, uh, the Boeing 727. And uh, the, the, the cockpit of the Boeing 727 uh, was originally set up for four pilots. Uh, they had the captain and the, the co-pilot or the first officer and then sitting behind the first officer is the flight engineer. And then sitting to the left of the flight engineer would be uh, the navigator. And so there were four pilots up there back in the 1950s. And then as, uh, as navigation uh, capabilities of aircraft got more advanced, well, they got rid of the, the, uh, the navigator. And then as aircraft advanced in technology, they got rid of the flight engineer because the flight engineer uh, that person's job was to sit there and monitor the, uh, uh, the fuel uh, of the aircraft, switching fuel tanks, and also the air conditioning of the cabin, the pressurization of the cabin, uh, the electrical flow through the, the different electrical buses of the aircraft. This was all done manually by the flight engineer. Well, they figured out they could have uh, automation of the aircraft do that. So now we're down to two pilots. And as the... Uh, uh, advancement of aircraft moves along with technology. They're figuring out that maybe, just maybe, they can get away with having one pilot in the cockpit. I think that that's a very bad idea. I don't think that most of the traveling public uh, will, will go for that. It, it's a matter of safety because when things go wrong with an aircraft, they can go wrong very quickly. And if you don't have somebody up there in the cockpit, at least two pilots that are able to handle that emergency, uh, you could run into a disaster. I mean, I, I could explain everything that goes on up there, but listen, when something bad happens to the aircraft, you need, you need two pilots. One pilot has to concentrate on flying that aircraft safely. 
they 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 do that and they keep the blue side up it's called <laughs> so you don't lose control of the aircraft and they also talk to air traffic control and they declare an emergency uh, they look for an, a diversion if, if the aircraft needs to divert and get on the ground as quickly as possible so that's one pilot that's tasked with all of those things and then the other pilot is concentrating on trying to uh, stabilize the emergency, whatever it is. Maybe it's a hydraulic leak. Maybe it's uh, an electrical problem. Maybe it's uh, a fire in the electrical system. Maybe it's a pressurization problem, you see. So there's, there's all kinds of things that can go wrong with an aircraft. So you really need two pilots up there uh, to manage that. So the thinking of, of these, uh, these people that want to go down to one pilot is, well, perhaps we can have the aircraft automated enough so that it can control uh, the emergency by itself. In other words, it would have sensors that would uh, shut off uh, certain valves that need to be shut off and maybe uh, electrical switches that will uh, you know, transfer electrical power to standby buses or standby generators and be able to do this all on its own versus having the pilot do it manually, you see. So this is, this is where their thinking is going. Uh, but in order to do this, you would have to still have another pilot involved in, in the, uh, the sequence of events. And so that pilot would be uh, somebody on the ground that would have uh, complete communication with the aircraft at all times uh, so that you would still have two pilots involved in, in the scenario. But the problem with that is if you lose communications, now you're down to one pilot again. And if that one pilot has a medical emergency or an incapacitation, now you're going to lose control of the aircraft and, and people are going to have uh, loss of life. And that's what we don't want to see happen. So it's, yeah, it's all it about like safety. It's a bad idea on, on every side as a, for all the years that we've ever flown. Has there ever been a one pilot rule ever in your career or knowing yeah. Well, you know, in, there's, there's different uh, federal aviation regulations uh, down here in the United States. Uh, we have different parts of the regulations. Part 121 is for scheduled aircraft carriers, scheduled to, to fly passengers. And so those are absolutely required to have two pilots at all times, a minimum of two pilots on the flight deck at all times. Now, there's a sub uh, class of the Federal Aviation Regulations called Part 135. And Part 135, although you can still have uh, a schedule of some sort, it's called on-demand flying. And we actually do have that uh, down here. Uh, it's a smaller aircraft. Uh, there are usually uh, 12 to uh, uh, 12 passengers maximum usually. And they fly shorter hops, like from New York out to uh, Nantucket. Uh, or smaller islands off, off the coast. And so, yeah, those can have one pilot. But I, you know, these times that we're in right now where we've got subclinical myocarditis that's an issue in pilots, uh, which just happened recently. We, we had another pilot that went incapacitated uh, without warning. Um, yeah, if, you're, if you just have one pilot flying the aircraft, that's, that's, a, that's a danger. And I recommend people, if you're going to be flying on a, on a smaller aircraft on a part 135 down here in the United States, 
and it's just one pilot. I, I wouldn't do it if that pilot was, uh, was injected with this experimental uh, product. It's just too dangerous. Yep, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, it's already caused a, a, a new added sort of level of anxiety for me personally, flying, yeah. um, being so aware of what's happened. Uh, I'm comforted at least with two pilots. And now if that ever yeah. changed, I think it might change what kind yeah, of... Yeah, no, I got to bring, bring this up too. I mean, people ask me all the time, is it still safe to fly? Well, the safest flying right now is international flying because uh, by law, you're required to have uh, two crews on the aircraft, uh, especially during critical phases of flight, the takeoff and landing. Uh, it's required to have both crews in the cockpit. Uh, that way you have a crew monitoring the crew that's actually in control of the aircraft. And this is all for safety reasons. And so you've got, you've got plenty of backup there, but on domestic flights, and I'm sure it's the same way in Canada. If it's flights within Canada uh, on, a, on a normal passenger aircraft, even if it's, you know, two to 300 passengers, if you're just flying within Canada, uh, they're only required to have two pilots. And the chances of both of those pilots being injected is pretty high because this was mandated. It was mandated into pilots. And so if we run into, you know, serious problems, if, if this, you know, gets to be uh, a, a serious concern, they're going to have to uh, be required to have another pilot uh, sitting in the back of the aircraft, another qualified pilot on that particular aircraft, uh, just as a backup. But again, this is going to be very expensive and it's going to require a lot of extra staffing when we're already in a pilot shortage. There's a serious uh a shortage of qualified pilots right now. And that's happening for a number of reasons. Number one, uh, when this whole, you know, COVID scare began, uh, nobody wanted to fly. They were afraid of infecting each other, which is, you know, not how this works. Uh, so they, they didn't, they didn't want to be on an airplane. And so airplanes got parked, pilots got laid off, pilots took her to retirement. And then when the, uh, the demand for, for air travel came back. It came back robustly and people were just ready to get back on the airplane and start flying again. And so where are the pilots? And so that runs into staffing issues, you see. That's it. And then we, have, we, have, the problem, we have the problem now with uh, adverse reactions that are coming out of this injection. So what we'll do, uh, we've what had we'll do is we'll, we'll say goodbye to, so YouTube and Facebook, just go to the link and we're gonna have a very frank discussion. We want you all there and uh, we'll see you there in a moment. So Rumble, Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson, you can search it on Rumble or just follow the link and uh, get there. Thanks, Dr. Um, um, Stillwagon, continue. Stillwagon. Yeah. yeah, and so, um, yeah, if this gets to be a problem, then then you're going to have to have another uh, pilot uh, standing by. So, you know, what's really upsetting about this whole thing, Laura Lynn, is, is they knew right when this shot rolled out that one of the, uh, the major uh, adverse effects of uh, significant uh, concern was going to be myocarditis. They, they knew that right at the start. All of these shots had myocarditis as an adverse reaction of, of significance. And another one is, uh, is what's called microclotting, where you get uh, very tiny clots that start to form in, in, the, in, the, in the blood vessels. Now, that, that might not sound like it's a big, uh, big deal, but it really is. 
because uh, the first uh, stage of, of uh, pathological breakdown, which leads to a chronic disease, is called ischemia. And ischemia results from a lack of proper uh, oxygen getting to tissues in organs. And that's a direct result of this microclotting that will build up over time. It takes about two to five years if you don't stop the microclotting for a person to develop a chronic pathology that manifests as a disease process. And it could be all kinds of uh, things that start showing up. And uh, where are we now? We're about two years, two to three years down the road. And we're starting to see these problems that are showing up in pilots. Pilots that are young are filing for disabilities now because uh, they've lost their ability to fly. And uh, this is part of the problem uh, yep. from the microclotting. And Dr. Uh, so just reported something we can put on the side there. Dr. Mackis in yeah. Canada, whom you haven't met, but uh, you two will soon uh, hopefully have opportunity to do so. But he's talking about a Virgin, Virgin Australia pilot suffers heart attack 30 minutes after takeoff. I'm not sure if that's the one that you had meant um, or if this is a separate thing. But imagine, I mean, this is really happening. And yeah, it, very it is happening and it's and it's very concerning. This this is called a safety signal that that the FAA should be looking at immediately here in the United States and Transport Canada should be looking at this immediately up in Canada. And this is not an isolated incident. Uh, we had one down here in the United States uh, back in November where the uh, the captain uh, went incapacitated uh, about 90 seconds after takeoff. And luckily, the first officer was able to get the aircraft back on the ground safely. And we didn't have any loss of passenger life. But what I'm saying is when you when you start to see uh, things like this happening, that's a safety signal. And so the, the people that are in charge of aircraft safety, which down here in the States is the Federal Aviation Agency, the FAA, they should be uh, screening pilots right now to to look for these uh, problems that can be subclinical. Uh, in other words, there are no symptoms until right. uh, the pilot loses consciousness, which is, is exactly what happened. And it's probably the same scenario that happened on that, uh, that Virgin flight, that Virgin Australian flight that Dr. Mackis uh, brought to our attention. And this, this is serious. Uh, this, this is nothing to play around with. This what myocarditis issue. What do you think about Biden? Uh, has just appointed somebody uh, with, he's in the transport, he's over all the transport or something, the FAA, and he doesn't know anything about anything. Do, do, yeah, I don't so know if you saw that. I mean, that seems dangerous. Like, Yeah, yeah. there's a problem here with the, uh, with the FAA. Um, I, I don't know if, if Biden has specifically appointed a new FAA administrator. Uh, but but the old FAA administrator was uh, was was Steve Dixon, and he retired when all of this uh, you know pushback came on on the shots. And you know why did you allow this to go into pilot? So he just resigned. And uh, so the FAA administrator that's that's a presidential assigned position. And so as far as I know, Joe Joe Biden has not uh, replaced that position. Uh, well, you know, the, we saw it on the, Tucker. The act, yeah, well, we the saw acting it on Tucker, administrator. I think it is. Yeah. 
is is it Nolan? Is the last name Nolan? Um, he's an African American um, gentleman, and I yeah. can't remember his name. But he was being asked all these yeah. questions, and he didn't. Know I think anything. that's. Yeah, I, I think that's Mr. Nolan that we're talking about. He he was the deputy administrator. Now he's the acting administrator. And you're right. He doesn't he doesn't know much of anything about about aviation. Uh, I can't remember what his background was, but it, it definitely was not in aviation. So, yeah, we've got it. We've got a problem here. You know, they're, they're not doing their their safety monitoring job. That's for sure. Yeah, just they're just not doing it. Well, tell us about uh, what you have. Um, oh, did we want to run? If I have one video to run for you, and then I'd like to get your uh, thoughts on this because you have a little bit to share with us on immunity today. But um, so, Republican uh, Representative Lesko questions former CDC Director Dr. Redfield revealing more truth about the Wuhan lab leaks of the coronavirus. In a recent Energy and Commerce Oversight hearing, I asked the NIH Acting Director about the NIH's gross negligence in monitoring the EcoHealth Alliance grant and subgrant to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. He admitted that we might not have had all of the information and research reports from WIV and EcoHealth. He insisted, however, that he was sure that the coronavirus research at WIV was completely unrelated to SARS-CoV-2. With the information we know and the fact that China deleted data and asked NIH to delete data, do you believe that we can have certainty that the virus did not come from the Wuhan lab and that U.S. funding was not used for COVID-19 related research? Yeah, absolutely we can't do that. I will say if you go back and look, it's declassified now, and I'm sure you all have your classified briefings, but the declassified information now, in September of 2019, three things happened in that lab. One is they deleted the sequences. It was highly irregular. So researchers don't usually like to do that. Second thing they did was they changed the command and control of the lab from the civilian control to the military control. Highly unusual. And I've been involved in dual-use labs when I was in the military. And the third thing they did, which I think is really telling, is they let a contractor redo the ventilation system in that laboratory. So I think clearly there was strong evidence that there was a significant event that happened in that laboratory in September. It's now been declassified. You can read it. I'm sure there's more classified information around it. Okay. Yeah, so what do you think about all that going on? Yeah, so, you know, this, this whole thing uh, started back here in the United States. Uh, I'm convinced of it, and, and so is uh, Dr. Paul Alexander. Uh, I don't know if you've had him on your show yes. or not, but he he knows a lot about this, and I've been following him. And there was research that was going on at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, by uh, Dr. Ralph Barrick. And uh, this was back during the Obama administration, and they put a moratorium on um, gain-of-function research, which is exactly what he was working on. And somehow... Um, you know, Fauci uh, was able to sideline that and tell Barrick to just keep on doing what you're doing and was able to shift this research over into the Wuhan Institute of Virology where it continued over there. 
So somehow, uh, whatever they were doing uh, escaped. It could have been an accident. It could have been intentional. We're never going to know the answer to that one uh, until somebody that's a, a major whistleblower on the inside is going to step forward and say one way or the other, you know, what happened here. Uh, right. But the fact is, uh, you know, it did get out and a lot of and a lot of people got hurt. You know, so, you know, this is a, this is a real thing. It's a real virus, uh, but it was man made. And we know that we know that it was man made. And that's based on the sequences um, that uh, Dr. Redfield was talking about. They started trying to cover their tracks right away by erasing the, the genomic sequence that they had. But of course, then then a genomic sequence was published again. And that's how they decided to uh, to make what's called the, the countermeasure against this this virus. And he mentioned that it was a military operation over there. And you know what? It was a military operation here, too. And it probably was up in Canada also. You know, normally when you have uh, a, an epidemic or a pandemic or a, a health scare like this, it falls under uh, health and human services down here in the United States. But that didn't happen this time. Um, it, it fell under what's called our, our National Security Commission, uh, which is part of the DOD, the Department of Defense, and different uh, branches of the Department of Defense down here called DARPA and BARDA. It's an, it was entirely military. And then, you know, President Trump comes out in the Rose Garden and, and announces Project Warp Speed and says that he's going to have uh, the National Guard uh, able to distribute this vaccine to anybody who wants it uh, very quickly, and that it was going to be the fastest vaccine that was ever produced. And so this, is all, this was all a military operation that was done entirely outside of health and human services. And that's one of the reasons why, Laura Lynn, uh, a lot of people started to die as a result of this shot, and it wasn't stopped. There was a very clear signal down here in the United States back in February of uh, 2020, uh, or no, it was February of 2021, because the shot rolled out in December of 2020. So by February of 2021, we had a clear signal that too many people were dying from the shot. And if that would have happened, if it was under health and human services, it would have stopped, but not, not under a Department of Defense because they're treating this like, like a war, literally like a war. And they're willing to take as many casualties as, as it takes to get this bioweapon uh, countermeasure. They called it a bioweapon countermeasure. <laughs> and it wasn't a countermeasure, it was the actual bioweapon itself. And that's what I'm trying to get people to understand here, you know? So the, the virus was man-made and it had a genetic sequence in it. And that genetic sequence was copied and that's what they made the shot from. The mRNA in the shot makes the actual part of the virus that's, that's damaging to the body. It's, it's the bioweapon itself. And so they even have a, uh, a, uh, a program down here in the United States. It's called the Counter Countermeasure Immunization uh, Compensation Program, the CICP. 
that was set up in parallel to what was originally called the vaccine uh, injury compensation program, the VICP, which was rolled out in 1986 after the federal government decided that there would be no liability against the manufacturers of any childhood vaccines, none whatsoever. But they knew that people and children were going to be injured by these vaccines. So they had to set up some kind of a, con a compensation program. And that was called the VICP back in 1986. And up until the present time, they have paid out billions, billions of dollars to children that have been injured by those shots. So they set up the CICP in parallel to supposedly compensate people that might get injured from this uh, countermeasure, they called it. And guess how much money they've paid out, Laura Lynn, in the CIP, CICP? Zero, absolutely zero. No dollars have been paid out whatsoever, none. It's just crazy. This whole thing is, is, is nuts. And people need to wake up and see what's really going on here. So, you know, they they made the bioweapon and then they convinced people that this is what you need to inject into your body to give you some protection against the, the scary virus that's out there. Well, your immune system doesn't work that way. That's that's not the way your immune system works. Your the true protection of infection is cellular. It doesn't have anything to do with these antibodies that they're trying to get your, your, your body to make, see? It's cellular. And so by injecting this, this thing that they call a countermeasure, it, it does make an antibody, that's, that's for sure, but it, it's making the wrong kind of an antibody. And so, you know, antibodies can either be helpful or they can be hurtful. This one is definitely hurtful. It's hurtful in a number of ways. Uh, number one, it's creating what's called autoimmunity. So when, when you inject something into your body uh, that's a foreign material, your body's reaction to that is to build an antibody. And that's good. That's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to make an antibody. But, you know, a traditional vaccine, like the ones that they put into children, they're putting in part of, of the virus. And they can control that somewhat. They, they know pretty much how much of that uh, weakened virus material is, is going to go into the body. Uh, it can still vary from shot to shot, but you're not going to get nearly as much uh, intrusion on the immune system as what this mRNA technology does. This, this mRNA technology is brand new. It's never been used in people before. And so what they're doing is they're, in, they're injecting a, a vector, which is usually a lipid nanoparticle. And some of the shots use something different. It's called an adenovirus as a vector. But either way, it's giving your body the message to make the spike protein, the, the, the spike glycoprotein, it's actually called, which is the bioweapon. That's what it is. It's, it's injurious to the body. And so this vector is telling your body to make that spike protein. And it goes everywhere in your body. That's the problem. These vectors are made out of the same stuff that your body is made out of. It's made out of normal body fats, cholesterol, and DSPC. 
And so when you inject it into the body, your body just willingly accepts it. It just circulates through your bloodstream and it goes everywhere. Uh, a friend of mine, Dr. Richard Urso, says it's like garlic. It goes everywhere and it literally does. It crosses the blood-brain barrier and literally any cell that it bumps up against uh, is, is going to allow whatever's inside that lipid nanoparticle to get into the cell. And what's inside the lipid nanoparticle? Well, it's the messenger RNA. It's the message to make that bioweapon. That's what it's doing. It's literally making the bioweapon. Now, here's the really scary part. Nobody, nobody really wants to talk about this, but I will. If you look at the, the nucleotide sequence, it's called, the actual sequence that was on that original man-made Wuhan virus, okay? It's published. Anybody can look it up. The sequences that Moderna and Pfizer are using are not the same sequence as that original Wuhan spike virus. So the protein that it's making is different. It's, it's close, but it's different. And, you know, it's, it's shaped differently. And that's the problem because in the protein world, shape is everything. And so this, this uh, differently shaped protein uh, that the shot is telling the body to make is, is quite dangerous. Uh, it's in an, what's called an open configuration instead of a closed configuration, which was what was on the original Wuhan uh, spike, pro uh, the original Wuhan virus. And so when, when this spike protein is in an open configuration, it reacts differently to the immune cells that are going to try to get rid of it in your body. They're going to go after that uh, open shaped protein in a very aggressive way. And it draws in what are called cytokines and the cytokines are very inflammatory. And when you start getting inflammation happening in the body, then there's swelling and that brings in even more uh, white blood cells. And it's just like a cascade that's hard to stop. And so when it happens in the heart, that causes swelling of the heart and that's myocarditis. And as we've talked about it, it can be subclinical. And that's the problem. You don't you don't know that you have it going on in your heart. And uh, if your so heart you think, is called, go ahead. Yeah. Do you think, Dr. Stillwagon, that uh, so a lot of people have got the shot. They've had no um, no response to it. Do you think that they're right. safe? Like maybe they got a good batch or do we still need to be fairly worried about our loved ones that seem to have somehow survived it? Yeah, so you bring up an interesting point here. The, um, the shot is highly variable in, in how people are going to react to it. And that's true for a number of reasons. Uh, the first reason is you don't know where the tip of the needle was when they pushed the plunger. It's supposed to be intramuscular only. Uh, but as the needle enters the arm, it's, it's going to break some blood vessels. And in fact, the tip of the needle could actually end up in a capillary bed or even a blood vessel. And when you inject those lipid nanoparticles in those areas, it will rapidly spread throughout the body. It will rapidly go to the brain, rapidly go to the heart. And that's where you're going to get this uh, myocarditis in the heart show up. So depending upon where the tip of the needle was, maybe you got lucky. And maybe you didn't get those uh, lipid nanoparticles rapidly spreading to those parts of your body. So that's one variable reason. Another variable reason is you have absolutely no idea how many 
uh, active particles, lipid nanoparticles, were in the syringe when they pushed the plunger. Uh, if you look at the instructions on how this product is to be mixed, uh, you know, the, the person, the technician who mixes it is instructed to look at the, at the vial and the syringe three different times to make absolutely sure that it's not coagulating. And uh, it has to look a certain way, it has to be a certain color, or they're supposed to throw it away. So the problem is a lot of people got injected with uh, a coagulating goo that uh, rapidly created a stroke or a heart attack within minutes or hours, and we've seen that happen. And so, you know, that, that was a problem. So maybe you got lucky and that didn't happen to you. Another thing is the messenger RNA breaks down. And so, you know, we all knew at the, at the beginning of this how strict the, the rules were for, uh, you know, keeping this stuff stored at sub sub zero zero temperatures. And then they they dropped that and said, well, you really don't have to do that. Well, the problem is the, the messenger RNA can can break down. And so a lot of people got injected with something that didn't even make the spike protein. So those are the lucky people, see? But unfortunately, uh, many people did get injected with something that did have uh, viable mRNA in it and lots of it, and it goes everywhere, and it, it makes your body just start spitting out spike proteins by the billions. Now, even that is variable because we now know that the acidity level uh, inside of your cells has a lot to do with how much of this spike protein you're going to make. In fact, the lipid nanoparticle itself was designed to fall apart and release the mRNA when the pH of the cell is within a certain range. So if your cells are more alkaline, which can be dependent entirely upon your diet or medications that you may have been on, then those lipid nanoparticles aren't going to open up as much and you won't get as much mRNA. Therefore, you won't get as much uh, spike proteins produced in your body. You see how variable all of this can be? Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of people just got lucky and, and they didn't produce the amount of spike proteins that some other people did. But but the problem is, Laura Lynn, this this is cumulative. It's cumulative. And I'll explain it this way. When you get the first shot, okay, uh, if you, and, you, and your body starts making spike proteins, the immune reaction to that is to make an antibody against it. That's normal. That's good. That's what your, your body is supposed to do. But we don't keep those antibodies forever. They wane over time. They will disappear over time. What's important about antibodies is the memory. It's the memory for your body to be able to quickly remake that antibody. Not, not the numbers of them or the antibody titers, they're called. And so the, the government and Fauci and, you know, everybody that, you know, doesn't know what they're doing is saying, well, look, your antibody levels have dropped. And so what, what we need to do now is go get you boosted. We need to give you a booster shot so that we can get those antibody levels back up there. That's, that's the most dangerous thing you can ever do. And here's why. Because when you go get that second shot, what's it, what's it got in it? It's got lipid nanoparticles in it, right? Can your body see those? No, it's made of normal body fat. So your body is going to willingly accept those things just like it did before. 
and they're going to go everywhere, just like they did before. They're going to bump up against cells and the cells will take in the messenger RNA, just like it did before. And now the cells are going to start cranking out more spike proteins, potentially by the billions. And now your immune system can see those spike proteins. Now it can see them. It couldn't see them before because they were hidden in the messenger RNA. They were hidden inside those lipid nanoparticles, you see. So now you've got spike proteins being cranked out by your cells and your immune system says, wait a second, I already dealt with that spike protein. I made antibodies against it. I have the memory to quickly remake those antibodies. So they shouldn't be showing up in these numbers, but here they are. And so your body has a way to deal with that. It's the heavy artillery of the immune system. It's called the complement system. It's about 15 quintillion proteins of various varieties that you were born with. They're always in you and they're circulating, just waiting for, you know, something like this to happen where the body has, uh, you know, an infection that it can't deal with. And that's exactly what this is. You're injecting an infection is what you're doing. And so the body has a way to react to that. It's going to aggressively go after all of those cells that are making that spike protein or have the spike protein attached. And it goes after it in a very, very aggressive way by activating what's called that complement cascade. It changes the shape of one of those proteins, which starts changing the shape of the other proteins. And that uh, brings on what's called the membrane attack complex where it basically drills holes in the cells and the cells leak and the cells begin to die. And this is very inflammatory. It causes more white blood cells to be brought into the area. And so the problem with this is it can not only affect the cells that are making the spike proteins or have spike proteins attached, but it can also affect normal cells that are around that area. And so you get collateral damage you get destruction of tissue. And if this happens in the heart specifically, that's called myocarditis. If it happens all over the body, and it does, it's called uh, MIS, which stands for multi-inflammatory syndrome. It's because it's affecting all uh, areas of the body, multi-inflammatory syndrome, all uh, tissues, it can affect all organs, and this is really bad and it can result in, in death. And it even happens in children, for goodness sake. MISC, it's called. And if you look in the, in the, uh, the documents that, that Pfizer and Moderna had right at the start of this thing, MISC was listed as one of the adverse, uh, adverse effects of special interest that they were looking for. They knew that this could happen. They absolutely knew it. And so here we are, we're, we're allowing our children to be injected with this product now, which is, which is just crazy. Any, anybody who would uh, elect to have this product put into their child is guilty of child abuse, in, right. in my opinion, because it, 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 it has no benefit. It's all risk, no benefit. It's all risk. And in fact, all Dr. Risk, Dr. No Mack is, right, Dr. Mackis has outlined um, over 96 children um, yeah. that have been taken. By the and that makes me nothing to do with COVID. Yeah, no, every everybody should should be you know upset about this and wide awake by now and and see what's really going on. 
And so what it's going to take is uh, people to become angry and, uh, and just say, no, we're, we're not going to do this anymore. I think the angriest ones might be coming when the uh, mainstream media is no longer able to continue to hide it. And there, right. there is seeming to be the increase in knowledge, actually, because it, it just shocks me that I can sit here and speak with you. Thousands and thousands of people will see this interview today by nightfall. It could be 20,000 people. And um, right. and then in the next few days, it's going to be more and more and more. And yet, and then we do it day after day after day. And then I'll meet someone who's uh, kind of just like me, you know, a nice church-going Christian family. They don't know a thing. And somehow right. they seem to have missed paying attention to, to what's really happening because maybe they are still stuck on mainstream media. So yeah, we've got that's, a, a that's job the- to do. Yeah, that's that's the problem, you know, and unfortunately, you know, people asked me a long time ago when this whole thing first started, what's it going to take for it to end? And I said, what it's going to take is uh, when we reach the point where most everybody knows someone personally uh, that was either maimed or killed. And the only explanation could be the shot. No, no other explanation. And so that number right now uh, is about 28% of the population in a recent poll that was done down here in the United States. And I hate to say it, but that number is going to have to be higher uh, in order for enough people to be fully awake and angry and demand this nonsense to stop. Well, That's just the way people are. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and, that's and, just, and what I'm trying to do, and, and you're trying to do it too. We're trying to wake people up bef- before we get to that higher number. We don't, we don't need to get to a higher number. I'm just, I'm just saying that if, if, you know, if we don't wake enough people up, that's what it's going to take. We have a website here um, and you have been traveling and uh, doing some good talks, sharing a lot of the material that you've shared with us here today. Um, talking about our immune system and what this horrible uh, thing is doing. So people are asking how to follow you. Uh, So is this a good, a good way? Yeah, that's, that's a really good, good start. That's a, uh, uh, a four module course that I taught on the basics of immune function and innate immunity. And see, that's, that's my thing. I, I am able to explain how the immune system works in a, in a simple way that, that people are able to understand it. And I think that's very important because the way the government and, uh, and Fauci and people that want to control you, the way they can gain that control is, is through fear because they can scare you into doing something that you don't really understand. And so a lot of people say, well, you know, the doctor in the white coat and the stethoscope, they're smarter than I am. So I'm going to do what they say because they know what's best for me. Well, they really don't. They, they haven't had the training in, in immunology that, that you think they have. And so when you go through this course, you will understand how your immune system actually works, where the protection of infection actually resides. And it's cellular. It's something that you were born with. It's not these antibodies that the government wants to try to convince you that you need to make in your body to give you uh, protection. That's not how this works. 
those antibodies are always on the inside of you. They're in your blood and in your lymph. They cannot stop a virus from getting in you or a bacteria from getting in you. They can't do that. They weren't designed to do that. They were only designed to react to the infection when it does happen. And so the whole idea is that the antibody will be there to react to the infection and hopefully be able to block what it, whatever it was that got in you so that your experience with the symptoms in the disease process will be less. Well, that sounds good. That sounds like it should work. And it does work if you get a normal, natural infection. Because with a normal, natural infection, it comes through the epithelial barrier, which is what separates the outside of you from the inside of you. And when you get a natural infection, all of your cells of your immune system are able to experience the entire virus particle or the entire bacteria. They experience the whole thing and they build memory against the whole thing so that if they ever come in contact with even parts of it ever again. The reaction is so quick that you don't even know you got infected. It is that magnificent and that, mar that marvelous. And, and that is the way God designed this whole thing to work. But what science is doing is injecting just a little piece of the virus, just part of it inside of your body to make an antibody that can only react to that one little piece of it, that one little part. So if that part gets changed, and that's exactly what's happening. That part gets mutated. It's changed. It's different. It doesn't exist anymore. So you're, you're building the wrong antibody. Not only that, but the cells that are supposed to be able to recognize the whole thing are retrained to recognize only that one little piece of it, that one little part. And so you don't have that protection of infection anymore. And that's why these people that keep insisting on going out and getting these booster shots are going to continue to get infected. See, they don't, they don't have the protection of infection anymore. It's gone. It's been destroyed by the shot itself. And that's oh, what I'm trying to get people to understand. Disaster. See, yeah, it is a disaster. Oh, so the government's trying to trying to convince you that injecting something into your body is going to protect you. No, no, that's not how this works. That is not how this works. Well, we just thank you so much, um, Dr. Stillwagon, for being a voice of reason. Uh, we want to have you on more often because uh, you're always um, able to explain what's going on. And we want to keep following what's happening in the air with air travel, as well as what's happening right. in our bodies. And you're making that possible. And uh, we are having a big conference September I think 23rd in Ontario, uh, perhaps. Oh, you are? Okay. Yes, yeah, September now. Uh, yeah, we're, we're doing a few dates over here as well, but September 23rd. Um, so we're going to check with you to see if you're available okay. to come back um, and see the good people of Canada who really, really loved you. Um, I remember the standing ovations that you received for your work and... Um, it's, it's just magnificent what you've done. Also, the price you've paid because you're attacked just like everyone else who tells the truth. And I just thank right. you for doing that. So, um, yeah, my, my pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that uh, we got enough out today? Is there any final comment you'd like to say? Before uh, I, 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 think we've, I think we've touched on enough uh, for now. Um, it's overwhelming, I, I want people actually. 
it is overwhelming, but I, I just want people to understand that, you know, aviation safety is at risk right now and something needs to be done. So, you know, my message is that there's an easy way to do this. There are some simple tests that can be done to pilots and flight attendants and mechanics and air traffic controllers, everybody who's involved in aviation safety right now. Yeah, it's just a simple blood test. You can you can do what's called a D dimer test. You don't even have to have a doctor involved uh, for a D dimer test. You can go online and order the test yourself. They'll send you the paperwork. You can walk into the lab and they'll 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 give you the they'll pull your blood and you'll get, you'll get the results. And if your D-dimers are out of, out of uh, normal range, that's an indication that you've got this microclotting that's going on and you need to do something about that. And the same thing with troponin. Troponin is uh, uh, something that will show up in your blood if your heart muscle tissue is being damaged. That will, that will absolutely show up in the blood. So if you test for these things, and you see that uh, type of thing going on, then you should seek seek some help and, and do something about it. And just because those tests are out of their normal parameters, that's not going to ground a pilot. See, it's not gonna bring the aviation industry to its knees. All it's gonna do is say, hey, you as a pilot or a flight attendant, you've got something going on, look a little deeper, find out what it is, get some help, okay? That's all we're saying. That's all just we're saying. Try to be on the, that would be a very try to be on the try to be on the on the safe side. Let's just do that. Let's just be safe. That's yes all. for all of us. Thank you so much, Doctor Stillwagon. You're a real blessing. My Thanks pleasure. for all that you're doing. My pleasure. Take care. All right. Thank you so much. God bless. For those of you in um, the Ontario area, I think we're looking at uh, a September conference, which will have a whole bunch of great doctors. So, Doctor Stillwagon would be. Uh, on that list, so we hope that we can make that all work. I have, um, I want to address uh, Pierre Polyev uh, responding to some of the recent things that he said. First of all, um, a lot of people didn't think Pierre Polyev said this. Now, I do have a share, JT, so I hope this comes up. Um, it all began, the furor began when Brian Lilly put this out. Uh, Brian Lilly said, I asked Polyev's office for comment on the meeting of three MPs and Christine Anderson. I received this comment from Pierre via text from a senior Polyev staffer, someone I've known for well over a decade. Many apparently think it's fake. It's not, or Polyev would say so. Exactly. Uh, so people have written me and said, well, I haven't seen any evidence that he said it, like there's no tweet or whatever. But this is where it came from. Um, sometimes people don't tweet. Sometimes they give a statement to the media. In this case, a statement from Pierre Polyev's office was given to Brian Lilly. And this is exactly what he said. Statement from conservative leader Pierre Polyev on the three conservative MPs who, who met with European MEP Christine Anderson earlier this week. For any of you out there who are still saying, oh, I, I, you know, I don't, well, I don't trust any media, media. Brian Lilly could be making this up. Let me tell you something. If Pierre Polyev had not said this, he would be suing Brian Lilly because I believe that Pierre Polyev has lost a substantial chunk of his support and that support, I believe, would go to Maxime Bernier. And we're going to air a clip uh, from True North where Mr. Polyev responded to this. This is... Mr. Polyev's words right here, all of these, from his office, okay, which is as good as his word.
Christine Anderson's views are vile and have no place in our politics. The MPs were not aware of this visiting member of the European Parliament's opinions, <coughs> and they regret meeting with her, do they? Well, they were forced to say so anyways. Frankly, it would be better he added this on. This is shocking. Frankly, says Mr. Pierre Polyev, it would be better if Anderson never visited Canada in the first place. She and her racist, hateful views are not welcome here. Now, I have a guest who's going to speak to uh, what Mr. Pierre Polyev has to say. Uh, let's put up the video first of Mr. Uh, Polyev responding to True North in their interview with him. Um, man, I would just love to interview uh, Mr. Polyev, but quite certain that uh, he would not accept that invitation, although I would go so easy, soft, softball uh, on him. But let's have a look at him being questioned about this, which will further validate that he actually said this. And let's see his response. You denounced uh, German MEP Christine Anderson as, quote, hateful and racist when she was touring Canada and had met with a couple of conservative MPs. What are the views that you ascribe to her that are hateful and racist, to use your well, terms? Well, I mean, she, she attacked uh, Muslims. She said that Islam is a, a misogynist um, religion uh, and that she didn't actually, she said it wasn't a religion at all. Well, there are over a million Muslims in Canada. I don't believe that, uh, that that's true. And I, if, if someone had said that about Christianity, well, we'd all be up in arms. Uh, and so uh, I disagree with the comments that she's made, uh, and uh, I said so. What would your message be to the people who are supporters of yours that went out and saw her speak and felt like you were making a, a swipe at them, perhaps? Well, I wasn't making a swipe at them. I'm uh, simply speaking directly and clearly, the same way I condemn Justin Trudeau for his racist blackface and for his uh, nasty comments that he's directed at minorities, including the unvaccinated. Uh, I, uh, the same way I denounced Maxime uh, uh, Bernier for attending the World Economic Forum. Uh, I, think, I think Maxime really has to come clean on why he attended the World Economic Forum, why he was involved in that, why he proposed free trade with communist China, why he said that he admires the, uh, the freedoms that exist in communist China. And I, I would denounce him for making those comments as well. Well, I'm pretty sure that Maxime Bernier is going to respond to all of that and also um, Maxime Bernier has put out statements regarding his attendance of um, the uh, World Economic Forum, and it's quite explainable, just the same as y'all have been, been forced to do things when you were part of the Conservative Party of Canada. The Conservative Party of Canada, under which y'all ran, uh, and, and you had to fulfill some of those duties or else, right, Mr. Polyev? Just like what happened to those three MPs, who had to issue an apology to sweet, or they wouldn't probably be able to run. Now, I haven't heard that you said that, but we all know the game. So several things that he said there. I would like to bring on my good uh, friend, Dr. Daryl Ferguson. He has his master's degree. Actually, I'm going to let you tell us, Daryl, because you actually understand Islam very well. And I want to say right off the top, I do not know 
if Christine Anderson called uh, the Islam religion misogynist or said it wasn't a religion, I'm not going to necessarily speak to that, but I'm going to kind of maybe assume that she did. And I'm going to ask you to help us to understand why Christine Anderson has been up in arms. I know she has spoken about the harm to women. Women and young women are being raped in Germany every single day. It's a big problem. And she's saying it's because of those who have come into the country. And also uh, machete killings are a problem. So this is, I have no reason not to believe that. In fact, I've seen corroborating evidence that that is the case. But um, I have Muslim friends. You have Muslim friends. Uh, Daryl, could we talk about this in a, in a forthright manner? And you tell me about what Mr. Pierre Polyev seems to have such a difficulty with. Okay, I'm right. It's good to be here again. Love good being on your you. show. Got to stir the pot. It's been a long time, Daryl. And yes. I want to say, as you get started, I was reminding my husband today and talking to Shane uh, here in the studio that um, you got us started. We did a live show with you way back in 2020, about April or March, almost literally three years ago to the day. And you got us started because we went live with you and I was so exhilarated. Like we did it live. We didn't have to cut and, you know, do a perfect little, because I was doing these perfect little interviews, you know, and it was a lot of work. I was spending hours and hours editing and uh, we did it. We did the interview with you and, the, and JT and I said, do you want to do it again tomorrow? And we were so excited. And so we had another guest the next day and the next day, and the next day. And we've never quit since interviewing yeah. you. So we thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. Good to be, uh, good to be involved in, uh, you know, speaking into the public sphere about ideas that circulate and it's ideas that are dangerous. Yes. Um, because we've seen through the history of humanity, when people become dictators based on a certain idea, and I'm gonna stick with ideologies because that's my specialization um a political ideology gets into the heart and mind of a group of people you have nazism you have communism you have fascism you have all sorts of isms and uh, of course they lead to mass slaughter of people who don't have those isms and we're going to see uh and i'm going to state it boldly that uh islamism is a political ideology just like fascism nazism communism socialism and so we, we are going to distinguish, and we need to distinguish, <clears throat> between Islam and Muslims. And first of all, I want to say, though, I'm going to hold it up. This is my master's degree in political science from the University of Sydney in 1991, so I'm getting a bit old. And uh, in this, uh, I felt led by God, actually, to study Islam because it was becoming so predominant. And, and of course, it was resurging and... Uh, doing various political activities, particularly jihad and terrorism. And so people were all confused. Well, you know, Islam's peaceful. There's just a few extremists. And, you know, there's no, these terrorists aren't really Muslim and all this sort of, all this um, narratives out there. And it's still out there. And that's what Polyever is responding to. He's trying to, he's trying to create another narrative. But anyway, in the, uh, written in 1991, I researched political Islam. Now, again, I got to say this, as a political scientist, you can study 
a political ideology without talking about the people who ascribe to it. I, I can talk about the Liberal Party of Canada without mentioning uh, necessarily any particular member, right? You, you, you identify uh, the political ideas in a political party or ideology separate from some of the people. And we have to do that with Islam because, you know, if we can't talk about Islamic politics or communism and its politics, we, we can never understand what motivates Putin or Mao Zedong or Hitler or anybody else. So I just pulled my thesis out and I thought I'd just read one or two quotes and I should read this again. It's been a long time since I read it. And you know, all anyone who's in politics understands that Islam is, is more a political ideology than a religion. Now, Polivier tries to sort of say, you know, it's a religion because we have a million Muslims. Well, no, you have a million Muslims practicing their view of Islam, practicing what they view as Islam. But if we want to know what Islam is, we have to go to the book. We have to go to the Quran. If you want to know what communism is, you don't talk to the local butcher down the road here in, in Vancouver, Chilliwack, who comes out of Czechoslovakia. And so he's going to tell you what communism is. No, you go to their books. You go to their founders. You go to Marx. You go to Lenin. You look up. Uh, the Communist Manifesto. Same thing about Christianity. We want to know what Christianity is. We don't. We don't go. Don't come to me. Don't come to you. Don't come to the local, you know, uh, <clears throat> minister or or whatever who says, you know, whatever he says. You got to go to the Bible. The Bible is our definition of Christianity. The Quran is the definition of Islam, and the Communist Manifesto, and uh, is the definition. Uh, of communism. So we, we have to be careful if we take the view of people about Islam and its politics separate from what Islam itself says. So if somebody comes in and says, you know, Jesus said, you know, he was a cow and that's my new part of Christianity, you know, you've got to go back to the Bible. Well, wait a minute. What does the Bible say? Jesus never said that he was a cow and he was incarnated or whatever. That's Hinduism. So no, Jesus was not a Hindu. So in my, uh, in my thesis, I just quoted here from Theodore von Lau, who's a very well-known political science writer. And he says this, uh, how much socialization flows from Islamic monotheism, from Buddhist meditation, from Confucianism or Shintoism? What other factors contribute to making religion, the structuring of the inward universe, a politically unifying power force? And he goes on to say this, Donald Smith, another writer says, it would be difficult to exaggerate the intensity with which Islam approaches its mission of establishing on earth a divinely revealed social order. Among the profoundest convictions held by the world of Islam are that there is inherent in the structure of this world and its development, there is a proper course, a right social shape, and that the meaning of history lies in the degree to which these become actualized. In these vital respects, Islam approaches history with almost the total commitment of Marxism. And again, Esposito, a very famous uh, Islamic, uh, Islamic specialist, says this, it is not correct to speak of religion and politics, but instead of religio-politics. Islam is believed to be relevant and integral to politics, law, education, social life, and economics. These are not viewed as secular institutions or areas of life in Islam, but religious based on the belief that Islam is a way of life, and thus religion and society are totally 
interrelated. One last one, an, uh, an author, H.S. Batia says this, God's law in Islamic view integrates the spiritual and the temporal in the life of the individual, covering with equal authority matters of worship, ritual, ethics, and common relations among men, whether they be personal, social, economic, or political. By conducting themselves in conformity with this broad scheme of the Sharia, the adherents of Islam can establish a perfect state on earth. So for those who say that Islam is religion, miss the reality that really Islam is a political ideology with some religious practices. And okay. Christianity is okay. not Christianity is not a political ideology with some religious practices. Christianity has no defined political order. In fact, Jesus avoided the whole area, although the Bible talks about it. Righteousness and justice are political principles the Bible encourages, but it doesn't dictate which party you have or how you bring it about. Islam specifies because in Islam, you've got their founder, Muhammad. Muhammad set up a political state as the first action after he conquered his hometown of Mecca with an army. He set up a political state and that is the perfect model for Muslims. And they want the caliphate, which is the political establishment of Islam globally. And that's what ISIS was after. That's what they're trying to set up in Iraq and Iran. So it, it is not, uh, <laughs> I am not going to talk on this show about Muslims because I'm a political scientist. I'm gonna talk about Islam. Whatever Muslims think, Islam and Islam is a political ideology because we have the Quran. We have Muhammad's example. Muhammad built an army and within uh, less than a hundred years after his death in 632, Muslims had already conquered and entered Jerusalem and conquered Persia, and conquered India through armies. So Islam spread through military conquest, not conversion. And they were assaulting uh, Israel. And in fact, Islam conquered Spain by 710 AD, it was Islamic. And if it wasn't for, uh, <clears throat> you know, um, in 1492, when Columbus sailed the ocean blue, Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand expelled, expelled all the Muslims out of Spain in 1492, because it had become just dominated and they were defeated by Charles Martel at the Battle of Tours, in 14, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember, it. I, gotta, I gotta get the date right, because they were invading, taking over Europe. So Islam has always been a conquering political ideology. And that's why there's been nothing but wars in the Islamic world nonstop, whether it's Iran and Iraq and, and whatever you want. And it promotes a political ideology because that's what Muhammad did. And uh, he, Okay, so there's lots I could go on about, and I have a lot of but books I, here. Well, I, I just want to I want to highlight what you're saying because one of the things that Pierre Polyev is um, accusing Christine Anderson of saying is that uh, that Islam is not a religion, and I'm wondering if Christine Anderson has some better understanding, obviously, than Pierre Polyev, of what you're saying that it is political Islam, and I have spoken to my good friend. Um, Salim Mansour about this exact issue, about the political side, the conquering side of Islam. It doesn't mean 
that we're speaking about the good people that we know um, and are appreciative of. I'm particularly appreciative. <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. I was having I was having a little bit of my um, tomato sauce with with some pepper, and I've been struggling today because I think the pepper stuck on the back of my throat. Um, in any case, um, my my Ismaili friends. First of all, there seems to be all kinds of different sects of Islam because my Ismaili friends have outright told me that they're afraid of those more radical factions. And they have outright told me that those more radical factions are indeed here in Canada. And those more radical factions is maybe what Germany is having a problem with right now with the raping of the, the girls and also um, the machete killings and things like this that Christine Anderson is saying is happening. Now, we've had some deep concerns um, in Canada. In fact, Stephen Harper brought that up, his concerns regarding uh, some of the Islamic um, things that were happening. We've understood about sleeper cells. We have seen very radical anti-Semitic prayers in mosques that do not um, get pointed out except when a Jewish person finds out that the, the mosque uh, spoke about... Um, slaying the Jews one by one. And then it's taken down and a big hubbub is made and all of that. Um, I've recently had some information on that. But one of the things that she said was that, um, that Pierre Polyev said that Christine Anderson said, which I have not confirmed, but I somehow don't doubt it, was that it's a misogynist um, ideology. And, you know, women are only worth their word is only worth half, half of a person. So I think that's misogynistic. So based simply on some of the beliefs of the Islamic Quran and the way that the Quran uh, speaks about women, perhaps Christine Anderson would be justified in that. And my question myself, do you think I'm wrong? My question to Mr. Pierre Polyev is, you think that's okay? You think that's okay? Because that is actually what the Quran says. So we actually might think that's misogynistic. I might think that is. A lot of women, including your liberal women, might think that's misogynistic, that in the Quran, a woman's vote or um, her word as a witness, whatever, she's worth half. Not to mention all the other stuff, uh, beat your wife, gently with a little stick, um, all, all kinds of things are in the Quran. Yeah, look, you're absolutely right. Uh, Islam is misogynistic in the sense that there are sex slaves. Look what happened to with ISIS when they captured some of the, uh, um, the Kurds and uh, Muhammad had sex slaves. Muhammad had at least 15 wives. Uh, so Multiple wives are permitted he in Islam. Married, which, he uh, married a very young girl, right? Married Aisha when she was seven, and he had sex with her when she, when she was nine. Now, there's some countries... Fact, everyone. That this is not something un, that we don't, you know, oh, like, you're lot making stuff up. This is factual. That's factual. And so it's a model for some countries in Jordan. Some people still stick to that because whatever Muhammad did is absolute holiness. Like, for example, look, if you're a Muslim, you're going to follow Muhammad. And if Muhammad cut people's heads off, is there any wonder why ISIS 
was cutting people's heads off of unbelievers, Christians, and all kinds of people? Is there any wonder? No. In 627 AD, Muhammad cut the heads off 900 Jews, the Banu Khareza tribe, because they wouldn't follow his orders and they were rebelling against his leadership. And, and you can't remove that from the Quran. And that was considered Allah's divine command to him. So it's sanctified. Uh, so beheadings are really common in Islam, and that's why many people have been captured and, and, and had their heads cut off. And uh, so it's impossible to turn Muhammad into a, a non-political figure because he led armies and his armies conquered, almost conquered Europe. So yes, sex slavery by ISIS and other groups. Now again, <clears throat> here's, the, here's the issue. Some Muslims in Canada may not agree with that. And there are some practices they don't agree with. But you can't take it out of the Quran. Jesus never practiced sex slavery. Jesus never told people, you know, just because they're unbelievers, cut their heads off. He says you've got to love them. So the Bible, we follow Jesus. And if you do a comparison, and I've got books here on it, the comparison of Muhammad's statements and Jesus' statements, they are vastly different. Muhammad is a conqueror. Jesus is promoting love. Muhammad's conquering is promoting conquest. So back to Islam again. So I believe that Christine Anderson is correct. If you do the numbers on Europe, there's at least 10 million Muslims, several, I think a million and a half, mostly came in when they opened the borders and Merkel in Germany took in literally a million of them. I think they have close to, I believe it's 4 million Muslim workers because remember this, okay? Europe is kind of deserving what they sowed. They're reaping what they sowed. Abortion is so high. People aren't getting married. They're not having families. So where do you get all your workers to run your factories? Okay, so they are sucking in people from Turkey by the millions. They let them in. Switzerland has huge Turkish population. And let alone now all the refugees that poured across the border. We saw them pouring in and they're in Sweden. And you've got cities like Malmo that have become the rape capital of Europe. And, and now the Swedes and the Danes are actually deporting some of these people. Now, not all of them are. But anyway, there's there's huge problems with Islam as a political vision because Islam is manifested in demands for Sharia, which is their law, Sharia law courts. And you need to know that there's there's I think something like 95 separate Sharia law courts in Great Britain. That's how dumb the British were. So you're allowing a separate political system to emerge alongside of your own, which is run on democracy. And most of our democracies, let's face it, in the Western world, that's Britain and Canada, the USA, New Zealand, etc., are based on the Bible. Most of our laws come out of biblical ideas and their Islam comes out of the Quran. So they have a different view of family law, divorce law, inheritance law, etc. Once you allow a separate court, may we never, ever allow Sharia court to be set up in Canada and there are 23 of them in the United States. And the, the research is very well done. You have activist political groups like CAIR, Coalition or Council on American Islamic Relations. And we have a branch in Canada based out of Calgary that tried to shut down Mark Stein when he revealed the truths about political Islam in Europe. They, they accused him and went to the Human Rights Tribunal with hate speech. And he said, what's hateful? I'm describing what reality is out there. So, so People are afraid to talk about the politics of Islam because you're told you hate Muslims. I repeat, I'm commanded by God to love Muslims, but I hate Islamism. So Islam, if you classify it as a peaceful religion, you're an error. You're a fool because that's not what Muhammad himself preached. That's not what all the literature speaks 
I, I've got I've got books upon books upon books. Here's one put out uh, by by the Center for Se Security Policy in the United States. And the title is Sharia: The Threat to America. Okay, I mean, who's making this up? Not me. And in this, it goes through uh, saying that uh, Muslim supremacists, often called Islamists, like the proponents of communism and Nazism, these supremacists, some terrorists, others employing stealthier means, seek to impose a totalitarian regime, a global totalitarian system cloaked as an Islamic state and called a caliphate. On that side of the divide, which is the focus of this book, Sharia is an immutable compulsory system that Muslims are obliged to install and the world required to adopt, the failure to do so being deemed a damnable fence against Allah. For these ideologues, Sharia is not a private matter. Adherents see the West as an obstacle to be overcome, not a culture and civilization to be embraced or at least tolerated. It is impossible, these Islamists maintain for alternative legal systems and forms of government peacefully to coexist with the Islamic State they seek. So, so this is coming out of the government. And, and you've got lots and lots of books, and I could, I, I've got lots here I could refer to. So well, my point is this. We have to talk about political Islam like we have to talk about political Nazism. Now, if somebody came into this country, a whole pile of Germans, and they said, you know what? We live in a democracy. We're going to set up the Nazi party. I'm sure that our government would speak against that. And not and not call and would call them extremists. But Christine Anderson is basically alerting, like Geert Wilders, who came from the Dutch Parliament, said, "You need to be aware we're being Islamized through population growth, immigration, and they don't seek to harmonize with your culture. They do not seek to to embrace democracy except where it allows them to start and plant as many mosques as they can." And I just want to point out the political contrast here. Look at the Islamic world. There are 57 Muslim-majority countries under the UN. Not one of them is a full multi-party democracy. Not one of them. In fact, you've got countries like Saudi Arabia that's an Islamic state. And if Muslims claim that Islam is peaceful and tolerant and, and inclusive, uh, etc., why, why is it illegal to have a church in Saudi Arabia? Or Afghanistan? Why do people get beheaded in Afghanistan and Pakistan and Saudi Arabia if they convert to Christianity? There's capital punishment in Pakistan, in countries that we support, is for somebody who blasphemes against the Quran or a Christian who might just mention that maybe Muhammad wasn't as good as you say. That's a death sentence. So all over the Muslim world, we see incredible terrorism. Why is there so much terrorism? coming out of the Muslim world. We don't see Christian terrorist groups. You know, I was on, I was interviewed one time by the CKNW radio program, and she said, well, all religions are the same. They all have their extremists, you know, and I said, okay, name one Christian political extremist group. She couldn't, and neither can you, because there are none. And so nobody goes around calling themselves the Jesus Brigades, the Jesus, for world revolution. There are none because the Bible doesn't support it and churches would denounce them. But there are at least 55 on a US government site listing Islamic terrorist groups like Al-Shabaab, Al-Jihad, um, Boko Haram, 
All these groups do terrorism. Now, why do they do terrorism? Well, because in the Quran, and I've got a list, I've got just, just a list here with probably 200 verses on it right out of the Quran. Okay, straight out of the Quran. And you know, you're gonna say, oh, you took them out of context. No, you didn't. They're, they're verses to kill infidels because that's what Muhammad did. So how do you deal with a political Islam? You have to shut political Islam down in the West. And that's what Christine Anderson is talking about. She's saying, listen, we have so many Muslims now, they're pouring into Europe. One out of this, I got an old book here. Uh, well, it's uh, one people should get is the sword of the prophet. You know, don't take my word for it. Get the sword of the prophet by Sergei Trifkovich. Oh my goodness, you want the history of Islam? There's books that I've been mentioning here. Uh, anything by Robert Spencer, Stealth Jihad, How Radical Islam is Subverting America. Uh, you've, got, you've got other ones by Bruce Bauer. I don't know if you can see these titles. Am I moving them too fast? While Europe Slept, How Radical Islam is Destroying the West from Within. I mean, look, these are analysis of political Islam. They have nothing to do with individual Muslims, so we're not racist. And besides, let me just say this. Islam's not a race. Like Christianity is not a race. Buddhism's not a race. Islam's made up of people from white Western Canadians to Afghanis to Africans. So, so what we have is a willfully blind Western elite who want to silence anybody who has a prophetic voice about what's going on. And there's a great book called The Death of the West, which centers on Europe and its population decline is so radical, Laura Lynn, including our countries. Canada's birth rate is 1.4 or 1.5, I don't know which one. If Canada now is bringing in, I just read the numbers, 450,000 migrants a year, and in the, by the next 10 years, it'll be 500,000 migrants a year. Well, let me ask you this, are they coming from Finland, Sweden, Switzerland? No, they're coming from Islamic countries. Now, and, and so there is a very real issue what will your nation look like politically if you allow radical political groups to establish their law and their political vision and political parties? And we can see from America itself that that is what is happening as they push and they bring lawsuits against people who try to say like San Jose had a, a Christian cross in its city emblem. They sued the city of San Jose because it wasn't inclusive. They didn't want that cross there. So they're not into accepting Christianity. They're into removing it. Now, again, there might be Muslims who are peaceful and nice or just happy to live here and earn a living. Praise God for that. But there are radicals in this country. They've tried to kill the prime minister. They want to bomb. They've tried to silence Mark Stein. News items. These, these were in the news. This, this really happened right here on, on our land, in our country. What you're talking about, and we seem different. Nobody brings it up. No, and so what? What people are they're buying into the narrative that if we talk about Islam, we're insulting Muslims and and we're racist. Well, these two terms don't go together. That means, look, I could go to any major university library right now and type in political Islam, and you could do it on Google and and look at what books come up. You could, there's libraries of books. Muslims write tons and tons of journals on Islamic politics and how it should look. Uh, there are Islamic parties that run countries like Indonesia, Malaysia. You know, there will never be anything but an Islamic party in Malaysia, a reasonable type democracy. But no, no Christian will ever ascend to the level of prime minister in that country. And you have to be a Muslim to get political advancement. Same thing with Indonesia. 
They have some minor positions, but they've 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 cleansed out. And these are moderate countries, let alone uh, you know places like Afghanistan, where you'd be put to death if you convert. So let's not cover our eyes to political Islam. We need to reach Muslims. And I was reading one quote: "The best way to help a Muslim is to get him out of Islam." The best way to help a Muslim is to get him out of Islam. And wow. So let me let me ask you this then: um, Do are we able to now conclude that Pierre Polyev is completely unable to protect our country from some factions? If if we have a diplomat from Germany coming in here and bearing her heart, and I saw her, I have the clips. In fact, they're on my Twitter that the women are being raped and she speaks about it and machete killings, okay, by the radical Islam, political Islam groups. And she speaks about it and Pierre Polyev calls her a racist, an Islamophobe, uh, that she, oh, she said they were misogynist. Does that mean he is completely ignorant of what the truth is on this issue in a country such as Canada, which is inviting hundreds of thousands of Islamic people here every year? Is he unwilling to protect us? Is he so foolish as to not know there's a side that needs to be protected? Because you would have thought um, his, you know, upward, uh, you know, side of him being Stephen Harper did raise uh, concerns on this. But now, is Pierre Polyev so woke that he truly cannot govern our country uh, properly because he doesn't get it? He didn't get Christine Anderson. And he went on to say that that you should not even, uh, you know, it would be better if Anderson never visited Canada in the first place. Why? Because she's talking about what's really going on and about misogyny. Mr. Polyev, do you not think that's wrong to talk about women in that matter? Because as Canadian women, we do. Uh, he's okay. I, I I heard his comments, and either this, he's blind, and he is to political Islam versus Muslims. And I made a clear separation. I'm a political scientist. I want to study their ideology. I I don't know about Mr. Muhammad who lives in Chilliwack here, and and he runs a hairdressing salon. You know, he may think it's beautiful and wonderful. But let me ask you this. Why are refugees fleeing Muslim countries? Why are we taking in millions of people from Somalia and all Muslim countries? We don't see Europeans fleeing. Why are Muslims fleeing to Europe, fleeing to this? Why do women, Muslim women, want to stay here and not go back? Well, the reality is that Islam cannot produce a livable democracy where there's equal rights for women and men. It is misogynistic. Women don't have equal rights to men in Saudi Arabia or Afghanistan or Pakistan uh, or Iraq. So let's speak reality here. So he's either willfully blind. I believe he's making political statements so he can appear moderate and not be sort of captured by the, the conservatives or whatever. But to dismiss somebody who is speaking truth is dangerous because it places him as a denier and blind. Now, these leaders, nobody who studied political, here's the problem. People don't study political Islam. They don't study what these writers like 
like while Europe slept, you know, <laughs> what's happening, how radical Islam is destroying the West. They, they don't, they don't study the books. And so they are, they're conjuring their own wishful thinking about how, and that's how the Nazis felt, but I'm not saying Islam's Nazism, but people just thought of this wonderful thing. They didn't think of the implications of this political ideology. So we should protect ourselves against the political vision of Islam. That should never be a court that allows a political Islamic court set up to judge their own people separate, or else now you've got courts for Christians, courts for Buddhists, courts for animists, whatever. We have a, our principles should remain untouched. He should have endorsed the right things that she did say. The concerns they have about Islam are valid. In fact, Trump had those same concerns. And if you remember, he shut down Islamic immigration for a while there, total. No Muslims were coming in until he figured out where the source of terrorism's come. Because don't forget, America's had Islamic terrorism on its shores. 9-11 is an Islamic action, despite all the nutcase people who tell me it was the CIA or George Bush planned it to get oil. For goodness sakes, all the pilots were Muslims. They were all uh, from Saudi Arabia. They, they're the, the radical extreme. And, and they were cheering in the streets in many Muslim countries when 9-11 happened. There have been other Islamic attacks in America in, in killing uh, 50 people in a gay nightclub, I think it was in Florida. Anyway, the point is, you never know who is going to awaken to their political vision. That's the danger, because all they got to do is read the Quran. And Muhammad killed the infidels and cut off their heads. And away they go. So we should protect ourselves, but he should be listening at least to Christine Anderson. And you know, the easy way to dismiss people is call them all extremists. So you know, she's an extremist. Or you know, he is definitely acting as a woke person. She, he, he, she, what do you say? Uh, she preaches hate. People who use that oh, word she's hate. A racist, yeah. Well, no, hate. You know, she's hate. full of hate. This, this idea of hate is a political weapon that anybody uses in case that was used against me when I was on the school board. Oh, you're a hater. And I do say this, I hate, yeah, I hate, I hate what's wrong. I absolutely hate what's wrong and evil. And so does God, by the way, the God of the Bible hates evil. So, so the, he's using woke terminology. Now, why is he doing it? Well, I think he's part, he's partly ignorant of what Islam is because he said there's a million Muslims in, in, in Canada. He said there's a million Muslims in Canada. So, hey, it's, it's great. No, but how many of them are jihadists? He doesn't know. So you better shut down political Islam in Canada. And you've got increasing numbers flooding Germany. These people are, imagine, imagine, you have millions and millions and millions of them. And now they are acting out some of their Islam and there are no go areas in Paris. In France, I think there's something like 700 areas, the police and fire department won't go. They're, Islam, they're Muslim dominated and they're just hotbeds of rioting. Uh, so I'm not going to say all Muslims do that. But I'm saying in political Islam, terrorism was commanded by Allah, strike terror into the infidels and terrorize them and strike them. It's many, 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 many verses. So protect yourself. So Paul Vier is acting woke. He is politically expedient, trying to, trying to move himself to the center away from extremists. I dare say he won't be anti-abortion. He'll, he'll have to go pro-abortion. He'll have to go pro same-sex marriage. It'd be interesting to see if he does all this. And that will tell you if he's conservative or not. How conservative is he? And, you know, he spouts a few things about Trudeau, which are true, uh, that Trudeau's doing wrongly. But 
I was shocked to hear that. I really was shocked to hear him say that about Christine Anderson. I Googled her and started looking at some of the stuff. She's, you know, she represents, uh, they have, uh, oh, where's my numbers? You know, I wish I had more time. I was, you, you called me late. <laughs> I just jumped on it. But okay, uh, in the group she's in under the European Parliament, and again, the European Parliament isn't the EU. It's just a think tank. It's a city, it's like a city council that has recommendations, okay, like the UN. But there are 63 members in her group from 10 countries, and it's the fifth largest group in the, the European Parliament. So it's not like these people are idiots. Um, so what's wrong with hearing from people? And she said nothing from what I ever heard that counteracts Canadian uh, safety. In fact, she's promoting it. Am I concerned about Islamic terror in Canada? Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about communist terror. I'm concerned about Russian or Chinese balloons. I'm concerned about Putin and his threat to use nuclear weapons in the Ukraine thing. I am concerned with any political ideology. I'll repeat, not Muslims, not Russians, not Germans, political ideology that manifests, that guides people's actions. And Islam is a political ideology. I've got it straight out of the mouth of those people who are true Muslims. The true Muslims are bin Laden, al-Shabaab, those who believe they should conquer the West and instill Islamic governments. So uh, we... thing that you're saying shows to me that uh, Pierre Polyev, he's just part of the politically correct bunch. He's old establishment politics. He cannot, he cannot uh, officiate over our country in any better way. He's all for the Ukraine war. He doesn't get any of this that... Uh, that Christine Anderson tried to say. And I think that he has uh, caused a certain part of his base to go, what? Like they were shocked. They couldn't even believe that he said it. They thought Brian Lilly was lying. And Brian Lilly's had to respond to it, basically saying, why, why would you say I would lie? Like he would be sued. He, I, I mean, that would be the worst thing that he could ever do. But Pierre Polyev actually responds to this, letting us know full well, okay, you saw him on video. Here's what, here's what I'm concerned about, that our country is so busy being politically correct in all aspects of our leadership in, in politics that we are not seeing the full picture. And I, I do believe that the fact that Pierre Polyev would bring up Maxime Bernier is because Maxime Bernier has had the right perspective on all of it from the beginning. And Maxime Bernier is a choice that Canadians have. Maxime Bernier and the People's Party of Canada is a legitimate Canadian party that is right on every issue, my friends, on every issue that we are dealing with. He, you know, for, for the Christians, he, he supports our right of religious freedom. He supported, he never got the vaccine. Uh, he, he supported our right to choose to get the vaccine or not get the vaccine. But he was the only one that kind of came out and said, I'm not getting it and, and nobody should have to. And he has understood about this issue with bringing in uh, people from other lands and has wanted to limit immigration to, to numbers that is... Uh, you know, what I would call acceptable. He wanted it down when he was running to 100,000 per year. That is manageable and that is acceptable, but that is not what we have seen. And Pierre Polyev having no clue on the attack on Christine Anderson to me shows that he 
on yet another issue is not the leader that we should be thinking is going to save the day. I think I think we we need to ask him a lot more questions to explain himself. But number one, he doesn't understand Islam. That was clear in what he said. You know, Muslims are wonderful people. How can we say this? If we can, Muslims are wonderful people until they enact Islamism. Islam's a beautiful religion, the Vancouver Sun once said, but Islamism is a terrible totalitarian political ideology. So what's the difference between Islam and Islamism? Islam is, is, is what the press called the beautiful religion, but Islamism is the application of Islam into politics. That's what we have to stop in this country. We can have Muslims here as long as you stop any political uh, manifestation, party, court of Islam. Now, Pierre Polivier um, is blind to that. And so he doesn't want to even be possibly aware. He may, I believe, I'm not, uh, you know, who knows where the numbers will go immigration-wise, but it looks like they want to try and prove to us that Islam's so wonderful. So we're going to bring them all in from Somalia and and the parts thing, of the world. Isn't it? You, you know what? You're, you're bringing up a very good point. Sorry to cut you off, but that's the problem is when you do not see that there is a problem, then you do not make good decisions for your nation. And uh, I, I know some really wonderful Muslims. Absolutely. And I appreciate that they're so honest with me. I remember a guy in uh, Toronto, he said uh, he had a he had a store and I was shopping in his store. And I said, well, what do you think? I, I always like to ask them straight up, you know, uh, of some of these things, because there had been some news items that were not showing Islamism in a very good light. And I said to him, I said, what do you think? And we had a heart to heart. And he said, he got in close and he said, I'm afraid of them too. They would also kill me. And so I get it. You're 100% right, Dr. Ferguson. It is not about the Muslims themselves, but it is about political Islam and not being aware of it and, and Pierre Polyev being so foolish as to not understand this. I just, I've lost a, a new level. I'm down a new level of uh, respect for him. It's been lost because he continues to show that he's, he's kind of got some charisma and he can ask the questions, yes or no. And I like that, but I don't like the rest of it. I don't like his Ukraine uh, policies. Um, LGBTQ, you know, what does Islam, you tell me, what does the Quran think about uh, homosexuality? Well, that's why they throw them off buildings in some countries. It's, they kill homosexuals, and that's what they think of them in many countries. <laughs> And I have to be fair here. As Christians, we believe it's sin, but we would never, ever advocate for harming or taking the life. Uh, anyone that, that would do that, they deserve to go to jail for the rest of their lives who would harm any member of the LGBTQ based on them being LGBTQ. And we do not stand for this violence against others, but that is not the position of this religion. Okay, I want to read one more quote. It's about immigration. I mean, I totally agree with you with Paul Olivier. Somebody has to ask him the hard questions and he should answer. And he should, it should be pointed out that if prime minister, how would he guarantee security against Islamic terrorism? What, what has he got in our uh, CSIS 
department in our strategic and he should be listening to his security people. Where, where does our threat come from? Certainly comes from Russia. Um, it certainly comes from China and it certainly comes from Islam. It's not like Islam's gone away. It, it, it has been here a lot longer than communism. But I like this statement in the last of this book, The Sword of the Prophet by Sergei Tripkovich. He says, um, Islam is a, now Islam, he doesn't say Muslims. Again, he's talking about political Islam. Islam is a collective psychosis seeking to become global. And any attempt to compromise with such madness is to become part of the madness oneself. No one who believes that jihad is the right or duty of all Muslims or who promotes adoption of Sharia law or the reestablishment of the caliphate should be allowed to settle in any Western country and every applicant should be asked. The passport of anyone preaching jihad should be revoked. This may be called discrimination, but the quarrel is not of our choosing. So there you got it right there. Uh, we need an informed immigration policy, and I would simply choose people from other areas. Wonderful Filipinos, wonder to get some Brazilians. You know, we don't have to take in and try to try to rescue all these Muslims, because here's the issue. Why don't Muslim countries, filthy rich Muslim countries like Saudi Arabia, Jordan, any of these other ones resettle all these poor Muslims? Why do Muslims always seek to come to the West, to Sweden, to Germany, to know what? If Islam can produce anything, any political freedom, why don't they go there? Why doesn't Saudi Arabia spend its billions and bail them out, build a whole city for them in Saudi Arabia? I mean, they could easily do it and give them all $100,000 a year. Saudi Arabia's got that much money. The point is it's, it's, it's a form of Islamization, and it's in their material also, to immigrate to the West to have high birth rates. Let me tell you this. This book is old. Okay, This is 2002, and in this book, Trifkovich says in, in, Brussels, in Belgium, 50% of the babies born are Muslim. 50% in this, that's old numbers. 10% of all babies born in Europe back in 2002 were Islamic, born to Muslim families. So their, 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 their program is lots of babies, lots of immigration until we get the numbers. And then we set up, we take over the mayor, we set up our mosque. In Australia, where I did my, my PhD, University of Sydney, there is an Islamic studies department in every university in Australia. There is not one Christian studies department on any of those secular campuses. Why is that? Because the Saudi Arabian government spends tons of money to plant one of their professors there who promotes a peaceful Islam and the West is evil and Islam is peaceful. So think of it this way. Look, the communists infiltrate your system and preach a beautiful China. You know, Putin preaches a beautiful Russia. Um, you know, Kim Jong-un in Korea says, America is the problem. We're just peaceful. We you know, and while he builds more nukes. People have to be savvy. They have to be wise. And we need to be aware. We are to love Muslims, but we are, I hate political Islam. And that's saying, and so would any freedom-loving Muslim who left there, who's afraid they'd be killed. They too hate Islamism. So, Paul Evere, Salim Mansour, rejected by the Conservative Party of Canada, uh, also spoke of political Islam and spoke of the problems and totally rejected it. And therefore, because he was outspoken against the things he thought were concerning, the, the Conservative Party of Canada would not accept him. And instead, um, instead we, you know, we have people running that are completely unaware. And I just thank you for your expertise. This is very good. Any final word?
Yeah, I think, you know, the Conservative Party is trying to get elected like they did under several other people who ran, you know, uh, O'Toole, etc. Um, they're trying to appear moderate. They're trying to move to the middle. And in doing so, they're no longer conservatives. So they're not going to, you know, they're trying to get voted rather than stand for something. And sadly, if Polivier does that, he is going to lose a big chunk of his constituency. And we may, but here, here's the worst danger. We may end up with Trudeau for another four years if we don't sort this mess out soon. <laughs> That's a scary, horrible thought. We all have a choice. Uh, we could all move in one direction, and that would be to the leader that is right on every one of these issues. And I will address every one of the issues that Pierre Polyev brought up. I just want to make that clear. And I will give Maxime Bernier an opportunity to speak to every one of the issues that Pierre Polyev brought up. But I will say that on every single issue that we care about as Canadians, on the issues of freedom, on the issues of immigration, on the issues of what's happened with the vaccination, on the issues of life, Maxime Bernier saying that abortion should be put forward to have bills that can be voted on, that it should not just simply be a dead topic. The Conservative Party of Canada will continue to allow 100 a uh, thousand abortions per year and not say a bloody word, not a word. You tell me, you tell me how that allows God to be glorified or honored in our Christian country as we take life after life with Pierre Polyev never and all of his cohorts never speaking on it. Amen. That's a good word. Go, go, Lord. Love being on your show. Yeah, we can say it like it is. <laughs> I know. We sure do. We sure do. Why not? Let's Truth see how many lawsuits I get for this. Yep. Lies right. last forever. But you know what? Again, we're, we're stating one thing. We want politicians who can speak the truth. Now, the question is, what is what is a conservative nowadays? What does it mean anymore? They need to define it because it's like trying to define no, woman. No. There's no such thing. Right. <laughs> so oh, they can't they define say, a woman. Let's ask no, Pierre Polyev what is the meaning of a woman. Pierre Polyev will not be able to speak to the meaning of a woman. He won't. He is too woke. He is the same as the Liberal Party. Thank you for bringing this up. Pierre Polyev will not speak against child transitioning. He will not speak against the uh, LGBTQ agenda. He will not speak ag against, you know, w women and men's sports and all of that. He will not because he is too woke because his party has gone to the dark side. And until we realize that, Maxime Bernier, he ran me when I was rejected from the Conservative Party of Canada to run as a member of parliament. I got 10.65% up against Jugmeet Singh. And if we would have added what I got and what the Conservative Party uh, person got, uh, we would have probably beaten Jugmeet Singh in 2019. And so because they're so woke, they do not understand their base. The, their base is crying for somebody to stop the pedophilia books that are in the schools, to speak up for family, for, for freedom. And Pierre Polyev, I'm sorry, everyone. You show me how he can possibly be the one. I don't see it. Thank you, uh, Dr. Ferguson. You're such a joy, and you're so full of good information. And I know when you speak, you know what you're talking about, so you were the perfect person today. Thank you for talking on all things. Thanks for having me. Always fun. God bless. Okay. God Dude, bless. Keep doing the great job. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I like him. I know. I not only 
uh, respect his opinions. I just really like him, and he fought hard. And he also fought hard uh, with respect to the schools and, and the, um, these books that are going into the schools. We didn't even have time to get to that, so we'll have to set another. Toby, let's get him in again on that issue. JT, what would you like to go to? Website, Trudeau, the worst Canadian PM ever. I've got that in line. Um, oh, you don't know what that is? Oh, okay, I think I have it on my list here. Uh, also, I don't know if we did the um, second video on Representative uh, Maliotakis questioning Dr. Redfield, continuing to expose the lies. Yeah, let's do that. On uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, take a look. Given what we know now and looking at all the conversations in February of 2020 and before the release of the paper, do you think that... Uh, Dr. Fauci used this paper to hide the gain-of-function research created, the gain-of-function research created this virus. I can't talk about Fauci's motivation. Do you think that the paper does hide the truth? I think it's an inaccurate paper that basically was part of a narrative that they were creating. Remember, this pandemic did not start in January at the seafood market. We now know there was infections all the way back into September. This was a narrative that was decided that they were going to say this came from the wet market and they were going to do everything they could to support it to negate any discussion about the possibility that this came from a laboratory. i got 20 seconds left. Dr. Fauci was affirmatively told in, told in an email that uh, NIAID had a monetary relationship with the Wuhan uh, Institute through uh, EcoHealth Alliance. He, he was told this in January 27th of 2020. Do you think that Dr. Fauci intentionally lied under oath to Senator Paul when he vehemently denied NIH's funding of gain-of-function research? I think there's no doubt that NIH was funding gain-of-function research. Is it likely that American tax dollars funded the gain-of-function research that created this virus? I think it did, not only from NIH, but from the State Department, USAID, and from DOD. I'm out of time. Thank you very much. Hmm. I love when the fight gets heated and the truth is uh, revealed, even through non-answers. Um, we want to go to Naomi. Can we go to, she's one of my, my favorites. Um, yes, let's run her comment. This is her second report on what is happening to men's sexual health, to say the least. And her earlier report is even as disturbing um, because she found that the lipid nanoparticles were degrading. Uh, they degrade every membrane in the human body. The testes are held in a membrane. And she found that they were degrading the um, not only the testes of, of babies in utero, baby boys in utero, so that the next generation of little boys doesn't even have to be vaccinated in order to have their masculinity impaired, right? But she also found that they were degrading the Leydig cells and the Sertoli cells in the testes, which is literally the factories of masculinity. So literally, we don't know if these little boys of vaccinated moms are going to turn into men, essentially be able to be sexually functioning adult men with secondary sexual characteristics like deep voices, you know, hair on their bodies, all the things we recognize as male. Mm -hmm. It's literally an experiment on masculinity. Wow. I mean, if that doesn't make you go, no, thank you. I don't know what does. So a lot of weird stuff is coming out about, I mean, how many, how many side effects are there that we still haven't put our finger on. You know, I think there's going to be 
there's going to be a reckoning in time to come about all of this. Um, so Tucker Carlson has been under fire because he is outing the January 6th. Have you seen this? So 41,000 hours of video that this whole, you know, the fake inquiries, right? We have fake inquiries here in Canada. Well, they have fake inquiries there in the United States of America, and they chose a few hooligans who did do damage uh, on January 6th to the Capitol building and acted terrible. And um, I, I think that they do have some of them. But clearly, um, people who appeared to be CIA um, plants within the crowd, like, what's his name? Ray, Ray Epps. Uh, nothing is said. In fact, the inquiry on January 6th led, you know, with Liz Cheney and all her ilk, um, said that Ray Epps wasn't there that day, is my understanding, and they have clear video of him being there that day. And so, very interesting. They also said that a police officer had died, and that was completely shown to not be true. In fact, the New York Post had to retract it because he did not die there that day. He died, I believe, the next day or somewhere else, and he had some sort of stroke. And in fact, he was a Trump supporter. So here you have Biden and all the rest going up to his coffin and doing these big media pictures, making it look like, oh, this police officer was killed in, you know, by the January 6th rioters. And none of it was true. We are living in a fake period where nothing we see on television can be believed. You can believe me. I'll tell you why, because I'm getting no money from nobody to do what I'm doing. I'm not being bought off because you can't buy me off, and they know it. And I'm speaking the truth, and people like myself, I appreciate Andrew Lawton putting that interview up that he just did with Pierre Polyevin, and at least he asked the questions. I would have asked a few more, but nonetheless, he did, and he's doing a good job getting the information out to us. I love following what True North is doing. Absolutely amazing. Um, so Tucker Carlson um, is under fire for allowing J6 footage, January 6th footage, to be brought out for the public to see and interpret it rather than being told what to believe happened. Because Liz Cheney, um, you know, and, and the, the, you know, tyrannical leaders that wanted to make January 6th be an insurrection. Well, it wasn't an insurrection, a gunless insurrection. They never found one gun. <laughs> Boy, did they plan that well. Hey, yeah, we're going to do an insurrection. It's going to be violent. We're not going to bring our guns. All right. In, in a country full of guns, you know, where everyone who's a bad guy has a gun and the good guys have a gun too. So it kind of protects the good guys. Um, but nonetheless, on, uh, you know, the, uh, Tucker Carlson is, you know, they're angry and they're talking about him. Uh, what was the name of that old, that old funny-looking guy? He's always angry, and he was complaining about Tucker. You know, that was the worst one hour of, of propaganda we've ever seen. You know, he's the big guy on the, on the floor down there, the older fella. No, not McConnell. No. Yeah, Schumer. Schumer. I knew you'd get it. Um, so Schumer's all upset about this and they're, you know, they, they wanted Fox News to tell Tucker, oh, in a free country where free press is allowed, not to show real video, undoctored video, uh, not to show that because you might give the people the wrong impression 
that maybe it wasn't an insurrection. It was a whole bunch of people just kind of wandering through as the police said, this way, please. That's what happened. And when you look at the shaman, uh, Jacob, uh, I'm not certain of his last name, but the, yeah, Jacob Chansley, um, the shaman. So he's been in jail. He faces four years. When you see the video, he was escorted around by the police. Uh, It looks like they were looking for a door to let him out. But I mean, this guy, I think he's been mistreated in jail and they just want to make him a political prisoner. And none of this is true. They lied. No police officers lost their life on the day. And yet you will hear Biden bold-facedly lie about officers losing their life on January 6th, and it never happened. Were there some bad apples? Yes. Were there some plants? Probably Antifa. Yep. In fact, there's a, there's a documentary out, and I think we had the two guys uh, on here and went over the documentary of the, uh, the guys that they did see that were clearly bad apples and there to make trouble. Anything else I've missed, JT? Oh, yeah. Let's throw to the clip. That. Now they have Biden's FTC going after Elon Musk for internal communications of journalists. Uh, they didn't like that coming out. More information they don't like coming out. But we don't hear the media up in arms about this. Molly, oh. where does this end? Where does yeah, this not, end right now? Not at all. We are in a complete information war, and we have many you know, powerful people on the left, politicians, agencies, they're trying to suppress free debate. I really think that their you know, kudos are owed to Kevin McCarthy for getting this footage out, letting the American people see it. And it is shameful how many people have fought against journalism and transparency for something that they claim to believe is an important you know, day that you should really know all about. But they fought so hard against this. They're fighting against you know, the one social media company that is giving non-leftists even like a little bit of a chance to discuss things they they are um they are dangerous and they are very scared and angry right now yeah yeah and they circled the wagon for wagon for hunter biden and they're going to keep circling the wagon until that wagon is dispersed by people who care about the first amendment miranda and molly thank you (laughs) and you know so everyone's banding together there's finally all of this footage being put out oh tucker carlson is so evil for showing you you know footage that might alter your perception of January 6th, like what a bunch of nonsense. I remember seeing video footage of the shaman uh, in there, you know, and they were praying, they were doing a prayer. I was actually quite moved by it. I'm so glad. Do you know I had a feeling like I really wanted to go to the United States on January 6th, that I wanted to be there? And I just never made it all happen, and I'm so glad I didn't, because knowing my personality, if I would have seen all those people walking into the Capitol, right, JT, what do you think I would have done? I'd have been right there. <laughs> And and so here's, you know, uh, the gal from America's Frontline Doctors, um, Dr. Simone Gold. I mean, she's had to go to jail and uh, f- for being there and for walking in. And for all I know, I would have gone down there and I might still be in jail today. <laughs> uh, that would be bad, right? That would be bad. That would be terrible. <laughs> all right. My uh, website is laurelin.tv. Thanks for joining us today. It's been a long show, but a very important one. And we've discussed a lot of really good things. So thanks for staying with me. We had a huge audience. I appreciate you uh, coming along for the ride and being with me uh, to, to get through all the news. Um, so we do have uh, coming up um, in the next week or so, we've got another guest on the financial 
things that are happening. We're in some trouble financially in Canada, and it's kind of getting sort of sideswiped by what's happening with this inquiry into Chinese interference in our elections. Nonetheless, um, everyone who's anyone is saying that we are imminently um, going to, in, in a close proximity of time, see the fall of our dollar. And so one thing we're recommending, because we are doing it ourselves, is uh, purchasing silver and gold. And we trust Steve Merrill, Sovereignize, at ProtonMail.com. He's been in the business a long time. We've had him on the show. And we believe that um, if you've got a lot of money sitting around in your bank, think about this. It's probably not making the best interest rate at this time. Um, you know, or maybe you've got some, some stocks and bonds. But if everything crashes, it could be a bad day. But if you are investing in something solid, silver and gold, you have got your funds secured. And that means that if silver, which is being kept artificially low, if that suddenly plunges high because it's worth something rather than the useless dollars that we have now, if it's worth something, then it's going to be very good for you if you have taken your pile of money and put it into silver and gold. It hasn't, at the moment that they devalue or they try to immediately Hold your funds in the bank. I have, again, this last weekend, heard several more stories about people's funds not being available for them to just go and get from the bank. Something's weird. So let's look at all the signs. Let's be like the uh, 10 wise virgins, five wise, five foolish, I don't know. And let's try to do the right thing and be prepared for a season that might bring us some calamity. All right. I'd like to read to you today from Matthew 5, verse 5, and it says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. I wonder what that means, eh? Don't keep babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. You ever heard someone who prays who just loves to hear the sound of their own voice? have to say I've heard that a few times <laughs> do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him this then is how you should pray our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. We're right walking a real tight rope lately. 
We have evil all around us. We want to walk properly before our God. We understand that there is enough evil to literally destroy our country. All of this woke stuff, political correctness, men claiming that they're women, pedophiles infiltrating our schools, drag queens, story hour. There's a lot to be unhappy about. Join me in collectively forgiving the evildoers and entrusting them into the hand of God. Join me in saying that we are not the judges, yet we will call out evil, yet we will speak about what we believe is evil in the land. But we're going to say to you, we forgive you, but we are leaving you in the hands of God. When we leave it in the hands of God, he has room for justice. And we do have to be a little bit careful. It does feel a little gleeful for me when I see some, some questions beginning to be asked of our Prime Minister. If Justin Trudeau were to turn his heart towards God and to change his ways and to turn from the evil that he has embraced and to call evil evil and not to soft pedal it, but to walk righteously in our land, there would be restoration. But if there is no restoration, and if those who are in leadership refuse to see rightly what is righteous and just, and if those who are in our land refuse to honor the God of Canada, the Lord God, Jesus Christ, then we ask God to remove them and to bring a righteous leader. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you tomorrow. God bless. You know, it's not easy to deliver the truth of what our sick world is doing, but for some of us, we feel that we have no choice. Because if we are silent about these abominable things, then we are letting evil go unchecked, and we cannot do that. For those of you wonderful people who are writing me and are sharing your encouragement, I am deeply grateful. Thank you for all the letters that you've been sending. Thank you for the donations and the support. I found out that in order to speak the truth, you have to become very, very strong. If you would go to my website at www.lauralyn.tv, you'll find all of the ways that you can contact me. Remember, my friends, all is well. All is well. Thanks for joining me.